Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you so much for joining us on BC Podcast. Here's a message to encourage your heart this week. Well, good morning, and welcome to Bible Center Church. Uh, Also, Happy New Year. Um, I love New Year's. I'm stoked that you've chosen to be here with us. By the way, if you're joining us online or on TV, thank you for taking the time this morning to be with us. We're going to have a great time in the Word together this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Ryan, and I have the high privilege and honor of shepherding and caring for the hearts of our high school students who are seated seated right up here. Now, I realize if you're joining us on TV, right up here means nothing to you. I'm pointing to our high school students, my little fan base here, and I love these guys, appreciate these guys. They're crazy. Uh, They generally keep bags under my eyes, but I told my wife this morning as I was driving, I was like, wow, I feel refreshed. Like, I feel like I'm truly rested. She was like, babe, you were up watching that stupid game last night. I was like, listen, by the way, I I understand there's probably lots of different mixed emotions in the room right now, so I I won't address those, but I will say they were, yesterday was a great day of college football. Um, But I'm Ryan, I lead our high school ministries, and we have, actually, I am stoked. I just, generally, I love New Year's. Um, I love the things that we have going on in 2023. We have some awesome plans uh, we have, I was just thinking about this this morning, we've got a winter camp coming up in two weeks, Emerge Weekend, which as I say those words, I realize I, uh, I don't think I've actually signed up for that yet. And yes, uh, the pastors are actually supposed to sign up for that. <laughs> I'm I, Like you, I imagine I've been in Christmas mode, I've been in holiday mode, and I'm like, yeah, what's in January? We'll come in January, and here we are. So I'm sure our middle school pastor is probably like, yeah, Ryan, get with the program wherever you are. So we've got that coming up in a couple weeks. In three weeks, we've got a baptism service. And so we've got a lot of exciting stuff coming up. I love the new year because New Year's affords us many opportunities to kind of reset some things in our lives. If we need to reset things in our lives, it gives us the opportunity to change some things. So if you're like me and you've been eating a lot over the holidays, a lot of the wrong kind of stuff that makes you feel bloated and makes you think, I really am looking forward to a new diet then great, we're in there together. Or you might be thinking a new diet. What, what is this guy talking about? I just need a diet in general. Or it's the opportunity to find new rhythms of grace in your life. So maybe you say, you know what? I, I, I come here this morning. I look at my new year. I look at my, my calendar, already kind of stressed. I need margin in my life. What a great opportunity to build some margin in your life for your family, for your spouse, for your mental health. And then there's the opportunity to reprioritize your relationship with Jesus, which is my entire goal this morning is to challenge you to do just that through his word. Today, we're kicking off a new series and it's gonna deal with scripture. It's gonna last most of January. It's gonna deal with scripture and, and prayer and priorities and relationships. But beyond these next few weeks, you'll probably see this, uh, this series spring up here and there as we use it to try to guide and recenter our hearts and minds and our affections after and around Jesus. We're calling this series Practicing the Way of Jesus. And so practicing the way of Jesus is simply three things. It is being with Jesus, it is becoming like Jesus, and it's doing the things that Jesus did, okay? Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing the things that Jesus did. The way of Jesus is a way of life. It's not just this set of ideals that we believe in our heads, and this is what we would call Bible and theology. 
It's not just a, a list of do's and don'ts, which is what we would call morality. It is these things, but it's more than these things. It's not less than these things. Do we have any, by chance, any Star Wars fans in the house? That's great. Are you really proud? That's great, because I'm not. Okay, and when I say I'm not, I don't say that as in like, I'm not, like I really enjoy it, but I've learned the hard way to be careful about what you say you're a fan about, because walked in a room, said, yeah, I'm a fan of Star Wars, and then the next thing you know, like Nerd Patrol's out, and they're like asking about comics and all this stuff. I'm like, whoa, 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 I, I didn't say I knew all that stuff. Like, I didn't read any of the books. I just, I'm the guy sitting there on the couch with uh, Matt Garrison, who's actually, he's another one of our pastors. He's blocked off the entire afternoon. So if you want to talk Star Wars with him, he would love to talk that with you in the lobby afterwards. But I'm sitting there, I'm like, hey, who's the dude dressed in black with the, with the red light that, that's smoking everybody? Like, that guy is cool. Okay, so when I say I'm a fa- not a fan, I don't mean I don't enjoy it. Okay, so don't get too grouchy with me just yet. But within Star Wars or greater Star Wars, there are these, there's this group of people called the Mandalorians. Okay, maybe you've seen the show. It's, it's dope. Okay, so the Mandalorians, like I remember first watching it and they have this, they have this saying that they say when they, when they do their thing, when they like finish their business or whatever. And uh, it's, this is the way, right? This is the way. So the first time I heard, in fact, I wasn't even sure I wanted to give this, give this show a shot because the first time I heard that, probably the first 20 times I heard that, I was like, this is the way. <laughs> give me a break. This is the way. Like, what are they taking cues from Hallmark now? And sorry, I do enjoy Hallmark movies. I realize we just came through Christmas. And it's not over in my house. Um, won't be for a couple months. But the more I watched these guys, I was like, wait a second. Like I gave this, I gave this film a chance. I was like, wait a second, these guys are the bad news bears. This is the way. Like, I mean, I, I bought in hook, line, and sinker. Now, the neat thing about their way, the Mandalorian way, or that line, anyways, is that it implies that there is a way of life that they practice. And the way of life that they practice, and correct me if I'm wrong out in the lobby afterwards, but I'm pretty sure the way that they practice or, or the lifestyle that they practice is doing good and protecting each other, looking out for each other. In the same way, followers of Jesus have a way as well, and we refer to this as a lifestyle. I find that a lot in the Christian church is said about what to believe or what to do, but not a lot about lifestyle is really said or spoken. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, then you have to experience the lifestyle of Jesus which is living the way that he lived through scripture and prayer. It's organizing our our lives the way that he organized his with priorities and relationships. And I would probably go ahead and add boundaries to that as well, allowing us to tap into life to the full. This is the way of Jesus. And so we're going to address a fundamental piece of practicing the way of Jesus today through scripture and living a life that is dependent upon the word of God. But before we go any further, let's pause and pray together. God, I am acutely aware of the fact that I am incapable of changing a heart. I am incapable of changing a life. I'm also aware that I often fail to live out the very thing that I'm calling us to today. 
But in your sovereign grace and in your sovereign goodness, you have placed me here. And so please, I am begging of you this morning that you would, through your Holy Spirit, cause the truth of your word to sing and to dance in our hearts, stirring us to change, stirring us to be more like you, enabling us to be a part of the clear and the obvious work that you are doing in our church family, that you are doing in our city. I ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Growing up as a a kid, well into my teenage years, there are a couple things I remember distinctly about basically every single morning. The first was the smell of coffee that would permeate our house. And I know not all of you might not be coffee fans, and that's fine. It's not really fine, but it's fine. If you're not a coffee fan, maybe you could at least appreciate the smell of coffee, right? And so that's one of the things I would remember growing up is the smell of coffee permeating our home. The second thing that I remember is my dad sipping said coffee and reading his Bible. And I will forever be thankful that those two things were realities in my life because I believe that so much of our behavior is learned through the example of others. And this is what we call in church, we call this discipleship. In Christianity, we are super talented at overcomplicating things. So when I say discipleship, you're like, oh yeah, that's the, that's the classes and then the curriculum and all that, right? Not exactly. That's a part of it, but that's not exactly what I'm getting at here. Discipleship is example and it is invitation. It is the example of Jesus and an ongoing invitation to engage in life with him. I'll put it this way, the things that my dad did for Jesus preached so much louder than the things that he told me about Jesus. Let me say that again. The things that my dad did for Jesus preached so much louder and so much truer than the things that he told me about Jesus. I can still smell the coffee. I can still see that black Schofield lying on his lap. And so now I want to invite you to allow your senses of smell and sight be open to our text this morning. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 16 and 17 for us. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, All Scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that, so this is a cause and effect kind of thing, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so we see first that Scripture is divinely inspired. Verse 16 says that all Scripture is breathed out by God. And so this refers to the whole Bible, all of it, every genre, whether it's prose or poetry or history or ethics, it is all the Word of God. When Paul says that Scripture is God-breathed or it is breathed out by God, he means that this is God's very Word. God-breathed indicates not the manner of inspiration, but the source of of inspiration. And so having established the divinity and the authority of Scripture, he goes on to say several things about it. He says that it is useful for teaching. And we're going to break this down and simply call this what is right this morning. What's right? Some of your translations use teaching. Others might use the word doctrine. But all this is saying is that this is what is right. If you want to understand right from right from wrong, look no further than Scripture. And I never could have imagined that having a source of what is right could be so comforting, especially in today's culture. A culture that is filled to the brim with the teaching and the thinking of relativism. Truth is relative, right is relative. Or so we're told. Or so our children are taught. 
I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in a world where Ryan is right and Mike is right and Melissa is right and we're all three practicing radically different lifestyles. That's not safe. That's, there is no safety in that. There is no right in that. And to embrace that is to say, yeah, what was right 20 years ago probably is not right anymore. And what's right today probably won't be right for our kids in another 20 years. Paul says, listen, if you follow Jesus, you don't have to worry about all of that junk. Read his word and discerning right from wrong, it doesn't have to be a puzzle. It doesn't have to be a guessing game. It's plain. Yet sadly, Christians have also formed our own version of relativism in the form of legalism. Legalism is just an extra biblical set of rules and standards that unfortunately often trump the actual words of God. And consequently, lots of people are actually indoctrinated and not discipled. You can actually learn the way of Jim instead of learning the way of Jesus. And this is the scary part about this to me. You can do all of this while actually believing that you're learning the way of Jesus. Trust me, I grew up in this, around this for almost 20 years. I've lived in Appalachia plenty long enough. And so you might be asking, well, how do I know if I've been indoctrinated or discipled? And that is a wonderful question. In fact, I would, I would urge all of us at some point in our lives to ask that question of ourselves. And then my follow-up question to that would be, have you learned more of Jesus? Have you learned the way of Jesus from those who are pouring into you, or have you learned more about rules? Have you learned more about traditions with no biblical context whatsoever? When you learn the way of Jim, what happens is that the things that were really, really important to Jim are going to be really, really important to us. And sometimes the way of Jesus is completely lost on us. So then what happens is we begin to die on hills that Jesus never instructed us to die on. He never told us, he never wanted us to die on these hills, and we really think that we're honoring him and Jim. Practicing the way of Jesus is actually studying Jesus, is studying his life, his death, his resurrection, and learning to treasure the things that he treasured and everything else to value it in its proper place. Practicing the way of Jesus is discipleship in motion. It's the smell of coffee. It's the sight of an open Bible. So we're told that scripture informs us on what's right, but next we see it also informs us on what is wrong. This is the rebuking. It says all scripture is useful for teaching and rebuking. And I think it's interesting in this passage, this is only, it's actually the only negative part of this passage, which indicates that Jesus actually spent most of his life telling us how to live for him, telling us how to honor him and not shaming us. But that's also not to say God does not take sin seriously because he takes it very seriously. And if we are to understand the way of Jesus, then we have to know that we can major on both dealing with sin and we can also major simultaneously on grace. All of us in here are recipients of grace and grace is awesome and grace is fun to talk about. It's wonderful. But sin, eh, not so much. Sin is uncomfortable right? But it is impossible to fully embrace the way of Jesus and not take sin and confession 
and repentance seriously. Let me say that again. It is impossible to fully embrace the way of Jesus and not take sin and confession and repentance seriously. Amen? So let me ask you a question. How do you handle rebuke? Personally. Seriously. How do you react when you are told that you are in error. What you are doing right now is not the right thing to do. You are wrong. I'm actually asking you right now, I want you to think back to a time when you did something that was incorrect, that you did something that was wrong, and someone in the right spirit, mind you, someone in the right spirit told you that you were. So I'm asking you, how did you respond in that moment? These moments are massive for us. These moments are formative for us, I find in my, in my life personally, they, these moments, they, they don't only tell me a lot about me right now, they tell me a lot about the kind of future that I'm going to have. Allow me to make this even more personal, if you will, for me. So when I first came to Bible Center almost three years ago, I had a problem. I had a very big problem. And nobody actually called me out on this problem until a couple of years ago. Uh, a friend of mine, a coworker of mine, a very close friend, a very trusted friend of mine had a conversation with somebody else and it concerned me. It was about me. And the details are in- irrelevant. The details are not important. What's important is my response, my reaction. I absolutely jumped this friend of mine. I was so angry. I was livid. I can remember I I followed him out of my office all the way up the stairs. We ended up having to get somebody to kind of mediate this conflict. I was so upset. I felt betrayed. I felt like my character had been called in the question when I wasn't there to defend myself. And that's the problem. Defensiveness. He said this, and I'll never forget it. He said, Ryan, that's your problem. You are always so defensive. That's why I feel like I can't talk to you about anything. And that broke my heart. Because I knew, I knew he was right. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit drove an arrow right into the center of my heart. And he said, what are you going to do now, big boy? He is 100% right. And I knew this was limiting my capacity to lead. Because honestly, I took any kind of feedback, I took any kind of rebuke as a personal assault. Now, I'll give you a little bit of the backstory. There's always a a backstory, right? This is not to make any sort of excuse, but it's to hopefully bring some sort of empathy. So maybe you can relate with what I just said. If you can't, then you'll probably relate with this next part. Okay, I had been a pastor for several years before I came here, and I had been hurt by the church. Who hasn't, right? You say, if, if you're a part of the church, you've probably been hurt by it. Thankfully, most of us are still here and we don't use it as an excuse to stay away. Because here's the deal. The church is, is full of people. It's full of broken people. We're all broken. And so you're going to get hurt along the way. But over and over and over again, I watch people leave over stupid stuff. I watch people leave our little church, watching my fellow pastors and their families in tears. They were broken up watching people they love, watching people they protected, watching people they defended, watching people whose kids they married, watching people whose parents they buried, bail. Just like that. 
Why? Because they thought that you had to agree on every single thing in life in order to be a part of the same local church. What a bunch of rubbish. So what I did living through that, and this was really the first six to seven years of, of my ministry, that's what I was exposed to. So how I responded is I built a callus around my heart using defensiveness as a way to kind of protect the deepest recesses of my heart. And over time, it made me nearly unapproachable. Until the words of a friend and the work of the Holy Spirit tore down my walls completely and changed me. And I'm gonna be honest with you, I'm gonna be as clear as I possibly can be this morning. If you cannot take rebuke in your life, whether from scripture or whether from a friend, if you cannot take rebuke and it's not something that you are willing to change, then you are handicapping yourself. Your walk with God will never be all it can be. Your leadership will never be all it can be. Your relationships will never be all they can be. Because a perpetually defensive posture renders us incapable of rightly receiving rebuke. And I get it. I do. That's why I shared a season of deep pain with you because most of us who struggle to accept rebuke, we do so because we've been hurt in the past. I'm not trying to come after you for simply being guilty of what I'm talking about. I'm coming after you if you say, I'm not willing to repent. I'm not willing to change this. I'm not willing to grow. I wonder how, how many of us would be willing to pray this simple prayer. God, I'm sorry, and I ask your forgiveness for rejecting feedback and rebuke in my life. I realize this is something that you have ordained for me in order to stretch and grow me. So please, through your Holy Spirit, cause me to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Quick to receive and slow to fire back. Cause me to seek this out. Make me more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm telling you, this will change your life. It will absolutely change your life. In Revelation 3, God says he rebukes his people because he loves his people. I'd say in most cases, it's similar for those who approach you as well. So we've seen what's right, we've seen what's wrong, but now we move into getting it right. This is the correction that our text speaks of. This is a progression. Scripture rebukes us. It points out sin and false thinking. Rebuke leads to correction, and godly reproof always aims for correction. Judgment and condemnation, those are never the final goal. If a child is prone to emotional bursts, loving parents do what? They reprove and they rebuke so that the child will then correct his behavior. So naturally, this speaks into how we respond to the truth of Scripture. For those of you who would say, I uh, have a Baptist background, because I do. That's what I grew up. I grew up Baptist. I grew up really, really Baptist, like the independent fundamental kind. And so if you're like, me, or at least the way I grew up, you would say, if you like what I'm putting down, and, and this it pertains to the way that we respond to Scripture, you might say, man, that'll preach. That's good. If you grew up charismatic, you might say, woo! Might even take a lap. <laughs> While pre pre preserving the chandeliers, preferably. For those of us with a Presbyterian background, we might say, <laughs> I 
we will often react favorably to a sermon or even a sentence as we might be thinking, yes, yes, preach that. Preach that because that's what they need. Do that. Say that. Give give us more of that because that's good for them. Or the opposite, we'll go silent or we might even stop by on our window out, out in the lobby and say, you know what? That offended me. That offended me. Good. That's good. That's what Scripture's supposed to do. But what's happened is in these cases, we have at the street level abandoned the authority of Scripture for the authority of my feelings. Humility is paramount if we are to properly respond to the word of God. Next, we see how to keep it right. How to keep it right. This is the training in righteousness at the end of verse 16. This speaks to the positive discipline that promotes God-like character. I gave up the idea of being good at, that's incorrect, not good at, I gave up the idea of being decent at golf a long time ago. I mean, a long time ago, at least in my short 33 years, got rid of the club. Even gave, I didn't even sell the clubs. I gave the clubs away because I found that there was this really strange, couldn't explain it. There was a strange correlation between the game of golf and the game of my temper. Inexplicable. So I said, you know what? I want to be more like Jesus and I'm going to stop playing golf, which is kind of ironic because I was just talking with some friends a couple weeks ago one in from college, and I was like, yeah, I would love to hit the course with you. What am I doing right now? Like, I I don't do this. So my problem, I took correction, but I didn't take it correctly, and I didn't keep applying it, and I definitely didn't keep it right. I had a problem. In addition to my anger problem, golfers call this problem topping the ball, okay? See a lot of golfers smiling at me right now, like, ah, bless his heart. I jumped into golf thinking, you know what? This game is for me, clearly. I feel like I'm a pretty strong guy, so I power this sucker to the green, and then like Happy Gilmore style, just tap, tap, tap a that bad boy in. Like if Adam Sandler can do it, anybody can do it, right? Wrong. It is so hard. It is very difficult because I realized this is a game of patience, to which my wife will gladly tell you he doesn't have that. I learned this, this is a game of strategy to which my coworkers and bosses would gladly tell you he doesn't have that. And it's a game of finesse, which I will <laughs> humbly admit to you, I do not possess. So it was a toxic relationship before it ever got started. So the guys who knew what they were doing, they actually showed me the right way to do it. It, it worked, amazing, right? Incredible. Look at him hit that ball. So nice but I did nothing with that correction long term. I listened to him for about 30 seconds and then went back to what I was doing. Went back to getting in my own head, getting angry, attacking the ball, hitting it 16 yards, and then praising God, right? If only. I know those guys were standing there thinking, man, this guy is a piece of work. What an idiot. Like, what is wrong with this guy? But the problem was clear. I did not receive correction. This training in righteousness, it is addressing character, something that is sustained. It is the idea of learning a lesson and then going on to apply that lesson and to be, 
become better at whatever it is that you're doing. In this case, being like Jesus. So we've addressed the fact that Scripture is divinely inspired. It is entirely sufficient and that it teaches us right from wrong. It teaches us how to get it right and how to keep it right. But next we see that Scripture is a divine process. Verse 17, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This speaks of the transforming work of Scripture. The finished product of the process of Scripture is a thoroughly equipped or complete, as your translations might say, follower of Jesus. Equipped for every good work means we should be complete, qualified, proficient for the good life, for the Christian life. Now, equipped for every good work does not mean that the Bible is a legal code that prescribes the proper action in every case, because in fact, detailed prescription of behavior is rare in Scripture. More often, it offers principles like honor your father and your mother, and it leaves the faithful, those who follow Jesus, it leaves the faithful to to discern what to do with those passages. If we want to follow Jesus, if we want to practice the way of Jesus, then engagement with Scripture is non-negotiable. I mean, look at the life of Christ. Even he leaned on Scripture always. In Matthew 5, 17, he states he didn't come to abolish the law. He didn't come to do away with it. He came to fulfill it according to the Scripture. When he was tempted, what did he do? Did he play his God card? He's like, hey, Satan, shoe fly, don't bother me. I'm God. No, he didn't do that. He always ran to Scripture. He quoted Scripture. We simply cannot live and practice without it. Corey Tenboom said this of what we are talking about. She said, when a Christian shuns fellowship with other Christians, the devil smiles. When he stops studying the Bible, the devil laughs. When he stops praying, the devil shouts for joy. And why would these things make Satan so happy? Because he knows there is no practicing the way of Jesus without these elements. It simply does not exist. To shun these is to render ourselves ineffective, and an ineffective Christian poses no threat to the agenda of Satan. Busyness, lack of margin, and ultimately excuses, these are Satan's weapons of choice in the North American church. You cannot get to know Jesus without reading about him. And Scripture, he has chosen Scripture as his primary means of revealing himself to us in our world. And so to avoid regular engagement with Scripture is to deprive ourselves of the glory of God and the beauty of God and the majesty of God. I feel this much is clear. We see that Scripture is a divine process, a process that results in transformation or an equipped and a complete follower of Jesus. But I want to I end with a story that I think, I hope will encourage you. This is a recent story just about three or four weeks ago. I was invited to speak at Charleston Catholic High School. So the objective for me was clear. I was, I was to come in and I was to teach a series of five lectures on the non-denominational church, the non-denominational movement, in North America and then the greater world. And so I did that um, for the most part, but I sensed the Holy Spirit leading. I also sensed a unique level of engagement with the students that I was talking to. And I said, in Ryan Bandy fashion, you know what, who needs notes? Like, we'll just, 
toss them to the side. I'll speak from the heart. It's one of the few things I've got going for me. And so that's what I did. I gave him my heart and I told him my story. I began to share the gospel through my life. I told them, hey, here is where God brought me from. Here is the disaster that I made of my life. Here's the grace that God showed in my life time and time and time again. And here's what he's brought me to. Here's what he saved me to. And then I explained that Christ has crushed the head of the snake. And even though Satan's ultimate demise is pending, God offers us the choice to live a life of love that is reflective of our future reality when heaven and earth are united. And the Garden of Eden goes from some sort of utopic, distant idea to actual reality. Later that night, I received a sweet and thoughtful note from one of the young women who was president of the class. She contacted me, uh, sent me a DM. Her name is Gabby, and she had this to say. She said, I just wanted to thank you for your time today. I can tell that you spoke to many of my classmates simply through the way that they were so invested and intrigued by what you were saying. It was relatable to us to hear how you got to where you are now by the grace of God. You were such a great representation of Jesus, just some Jesus-loving people who want to spread his light in this dark world. I hope to become more involved in the student ministries. I wanna bring my friends along too. Again, thank you so much, and I hope to see you again soon. That's how our practicing the way of Jesus influences and affects other people. When we are being with Jesus, when we are becoming like Jesus, when we are doing the things that Jesus did. So what if we, this year, collectively, as one spiritual family, all started doing this? Being with Jesus by treasuring his word through prayer, through gathering us, through gathering, causing us to become more like him, causing us to look more like him, doing the things that he did. I'm telling you right now that a massive family practicing the way of Jesus will change this city. Do you believe that? If you don't, you should, because it's not a possibility. It is a promise. God promises us in Isaiah 55 that his word will not return void. And if his word won't return void, neither will his way. A way of life that is radically antithetical to the way of this world. Living in such a way that causes those people that are around us, that causes those people that do life with us, people that work with us, people that go to school with us, to look back and say, you know what? There is something that is different about this guy. There is something that is different about this gal. I like it. I went in on it. And then it is explaining in organic conversation that arises from these types of scenarios, doing life with people, having relationships with people. It's explaining that, you know what? That, the that factor, the it factor, that is not me. That's Jesus. It is all a work of Jesus it has nothing to do with me. That's called transformation. That's the example. But then practicing the way of Jesus also offers an invitation, inviting others into this journey, into this way of life. And so I want to extend an invitation to you this morning as we wrap up. First, an invitation into a relationship with Jesus. You might say, man, this is great. This is, sound, this, this is wonderful. But I don't even have a personal relationship with Jesus. 
I'll tell you what, if you're here in person, if you're not, if you're uh, watching online or, or on television, I invite you to pray a prayer. Text us, DM us, email us, let us know. But if you're not, if you're here and that is you, I'm gonna be standing right up here. I'm gonna take time after this. I'm gonna be standing right up here. I would love for you to come and hang out with me and talk about how you can know Jesus personally. Maybe you say, you know what? I know Jesus personally, but I haven't been baptized. Is there a better way that you could possibly start 2023 than by being obedient in believer's baptism? Three weeks from now, three weeks from now, we'll be having a baptism service. Maybe you already follow Jesus. Maybe you've already been baptized, but it's time for you to get connected. Listen, we're here for it. Let, let us get you connected with a group, a group that maybe you would say, hey, let's get together and, and pick a plan, a Bible reading plan, and be in Scripture, commit, and hold each other accountable to being in Scripture more in 2023. God is still on the throne, folks. He's still there. He is still doing miracles. He is still saving people. He is still baptizing people. We are still baptizing people. He is changing this city. Accept this invitation to be a part of what he's doing. Let's pray. God, we are in desperate need of you for all things, for everything. But in this moment, we ask for your help in this area of conviction, the conviction of sin, conviction over not knowing you personally, conviction over apathy when it comes to you, when it comes to your word. So we ask now that you take your word and allow it to fill the deepest recesses of our hearts, address our blind spots, change us, make us more like you. In the name that is above every name, we pray. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com and give us a follow on all platforms at Bible Center.